Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. In this episode, I have a chat with Hans. Hans is a really talented producer based out of Norway who's released on labels like Foreign Family Collective, Majestic Casual, and Lowly Palace. I'm personally a big fan of his project, so I'm stoked to be able to have him on the show. This episode, we start off with Hans's musical background, diving into the lengthy process before he started releasing music. He actually started this project as a bit of a joke to prove to his coworker that producing trap wasn't that hard. And after a while, he began to connect more with the music he was making. And after hearing a certain EP from another artist, he became inspired to start taking music more seriously. On that note, we discussed the importance of identifying with the mood or vibe of your music and overall how to just find out what style of music you should be making. On the production side, we talk a lot about his songwriting workflow, looking at how he writes music that's both unique and relatable. We talk about how to write better verses and how to approach writing second verses and drops, something that a lot of intermediate producers struggle with. He also dives into his favorite synth and effects plugins, including a little known plugin that he uses to create dense atmospheric textures. Later on, Hans offers his advice on how to be unique in the lo-fi hip-hop scene and how he's built up a fan base in a genre that's great for streams, but not so much for follows. We also discuss why he collaborates so often and what his workflow looks like to collaborate with other artists remotely. Now, before we get into the interview, Hans is dropping a new EP tomorrow on Foreign Family Collective with Ford and Soon. It's a really awesome body of work. I'll pull you a single off of it as we slide into the interview so you can get a taste for his music. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM Podcast with Hans. back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Thomas, who releases under the name Hans. Thomas, how are you doing today? Hey, man. I'm doing good. Sweet. Well, to start, I'd love to learn a bit more about your background with music. You can go back as far as you'd like, but I'd like to learn what got you into music and later on music production. Uh, yeah. So I started very young with, with music. Um, so I like my grandmother had a piano in her house and we used to visit her every summer and we'd, we'd stay there for like months. Uh, like the entire summer and it was either like sit at home and play at the piano or go into the mountains and play there and since i'm kind of introverted i usually stayed at uh, home <laughs> yeah and just sat in front of the piano and just like hit the different keys to like figure out which ones um harmonized and sounded good together spent a lot of time with that piano and like i figured out like oh if you only play the white notes it can kind of sound good no matter what you play. Yeah. And so I started like playing triads and felt like a genius when I like composed my <laughs> own songs. It was kind of cool. Um, so, and my, like my family's super musical, musically inclined as well. Mm-hmm. Like almost everyone plays some sort of instrument. And, um, and my father is like the biggest music buff ever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like, my family has definitely influenced me there. Um, so yeah, with like the piano, I would, uh, my, my father bought me like a keyboard when I was 10, like a Roland uh, synthesizer. 
And I would just like spend hours, like thousands of hours, just going through the sounds. And every like every day after school, I would just sit on the Roland and and try out different things, uh, compose songs. And yeah. Um, so after that, like I would, um, I, like I never started like a band or anything. Mm-hmm. I only, I, I only like did music recreationally. Yeah. Um, just to try to convey my emotions that I had. So yeah. And then like, um, I started like a little rap project. Okay. Cause I was super into rap when I was like yeah. 12 years old. <laughs> and like kind of like made my own beats on the on the Roland because you had like yeah, the, yeah. the drum thing where you can just like play a drum sample and then play over the drum sample um sounded horrible but I it again felt like a genius when I did that um yeah. <laughs> and then I found out like there's a like an actual software to make beats uh which was called EJ Hip Hop Maker I think it's basically just like a you have a playlist and then you have a selection of samples that you just drag into the playlist. Yeah. Uh, and so like just Lego, you just piece them together and match the BPM and that's it. Uh, so not really production, more like just arranging. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this, this, it has a pretty, um, it gets old very fast because, you know, it's not that many sounds. And yeah, so I moved on from that uh, over to something called Magic's. And Magic's had the same problem as EJ. It was like basically the same, only that you could like you could actually drag in samples into Magic's. Yeah. So you could like sample things and then like do your own drums, but you had you didn't have a sequencer, so you had to like actually like drag drum samples in and do them in the playlist. It was super like a super a big pain to do. Yeah. So kind of at this point, was this just like you by yourself 100% of the time, like finding these softwares, deciding that the best way to make beats was on your piano? Or did you have anyone else that was kind of around you that was helping you with this? No, yeah, it was just me. Uh, my brother was also like super into rap and, and music in general, uh, but he'd, he'd never like tried to make beats and to actually like arrange his music. He only had it in his, in his head and it would like rap lyrics to his favorite rappers and stuff. But I was I wanted to create music, um, and so I I tried to find, uh, and it was like this was in 2017 I think no oh wait 2007, so you didn't like have the kind of infrastructure on the internet that you have now where you can just like find a cracked version of FL, like I I that was not possible for me, and so I had to buy the software, um, and so yeah I I bought software online uh and just googled it like oh how to make beats and then yeah, you get those like ads ej music maker the best way to make beats which is a total lie yeah uh so that's how i like found those early DOS. but i wish that i found fl earlier and because i wasted a lot of time on those very bad DOS. yeah i don't know maybe there is like a beauty to learning within those constraints to a bit like not like being naive for what you have to do at the start and just kind of easing you in having less to, I don't know, just less to think about when you're making music. Yeah. I mean, uh, it definitely helped with sampling. That's one thing. Uh, so whenever I sample stuff now in my music, uh, I have a lot of experience with, with sampling. Um, and so that's like a, a thing that I 
definitely learned a lot from from those constraints. So what was your next kind of move beyond using the magic software? Uh, well, I realized that like I had a pretty bad ceiling on my skill level. Like I couldn't really progress in those um, um, programs. Yeah. Uh, and so I started talking to people that did music because uh, at this time I was like in, in, what would be the equivalent of that? Like high school? Yeah. Like, if, like um, 14, 15. Yeah. Yeah. And some people in my, in my school did music and they were producing on FL studio. And so I was like, okay, I got to stop using this dumb software. Yeah. Uh, Cause like <laughs> these people are actually making music that I like. I need to get my act together. Mm -hmm. And so I <laughs> was kind of like, so I, I got up like the, there was this um, uh, uh, guy that was really good with computers in my class. Yeah. And so I just went up to him and was like, yo, dude, can you please crack me a version of FL Studio? <laughs> like, he's like some drug dealer. And he's yeah. like, yeah, sure, dude. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you like a, a little, um, what's it called? Those little... Uh, a flash drive with it. Yeah, yeah, a little flash yeah, yeah. drive tomorrow. <laughs> Be there at... The, yeah, it was super <laughs> sketch. <laughs> and then, yeah, he showed up the next day with a little flash drive with FL Studio on it. Cracked version. And I went home and I installed it. It worked. And finally, I had FL Studio, but I used it like I used Magics. I never touched the like the the mixer. I just yeah. like dragged shit <clears throat> into the sampler and yeah, basically just used it as I used Magics. So I didn't I didn't improve at all. Yeah, I just had a conversation last week with somebody else on the podcast that did the exact same thing. So do not feel guilty that you just like went head first without thinking I should read a tutorial or, yeah, or watch yeah. a tutorial, read the manual on this. <laughs> Oh, damn. I thought I was the only one. That's uh, good to know. That's very good to know. Yeah. So kind of from there, what did you do to develop your skills a bit more once you realized, like, I really don't know what I'm doing and I'm not getting the results, like some of the music that I'm hearing? So honestly, it took a long time for me. Yeah. Uh, I kept doing this for many years. Um, it, like, so this was in 2012, I think. So uh, it took all the way to 2016 before I actually started to try to get better. And when I realized like, oh, I should probably look at some YouTube videos. Yeah. And find out what I'm actually doing wrong or what I'm not doing. Yeah. Because um, I have like an ocean of opportunity here and I'm not like, I'm not even touching 1% of what I could with this software. So kind of at this time, where is your headspace at with music? Was it just a thing that you were doing for fun while you're in what would be high school in the States? Or was there anything grander for your vision for it? Oh, yeah, just for fun or more. Um, so I'm the kind of person where if I don't create something, I feel like I'm like I'm useless in life. It's kind of like tough, but I really have to create stuff all the time or else I it just affects my mental health. Um, I get like super angry and sad at the same time if I don't like get some sort of medium for this, uh, for, for my emotions and music is like perfect for that. Yeah. And so I came to a point where I realized that like, this is not good enough. I, I can't like, this is not what I want to convey. Like I, I want to have, I want to be more accurate in, in the way I, I like express myself with music. Yeah. And that's when I, uh, I figured out like, okay, 
let's let's do let's do some research. Yeah. And at this point too, you've been experimenting with quote unquote creating music for almost a decade, it seems like, just kind of playing around and then you finally are like, hey, if I'm gonna do this, I might as well put more effort into the learning process so I can create better things with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So kind of from there, walk me through what your next steps were to start taking music production a bit more seriously. Uh, well, I just started watching YouTube videos every day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would definitely, like, I would probably watch eight hours of YouTube every day. Mm -hmm. Um, if there was a live stream, uh, with music production, I would watch that. I would follow everyone that did music on live streams. Yeah. Um, but also what I did was go through SoundCloud and the people that I looked up to on SoundCloud and just check their bio if they had a YouTube channel. And if they did, I would follow it immediately. And just like the off chance that they did some tutorial stuff and I could learn from them. Uh, so yeah, I, I put a lot of hours into YouTube tutorials and yeah, yeah, learning sound design and mixing. Yeah, I was having that conversation with Lax City, who I know you're friends with, just how freaking invaluable it is to have the artist-driven tutorials and live streams for learning. like Kind of like you said in 2007, we're using these random kind of crummy DAWs. Like There just wasn't this infrastructure. And it's like so normal for artists to have live streams on Twitch, but my God, is that so valuable to see inside their workflow. Yeah, it's, it's insane how valuable that is. And I don't think I realized how valuable it was until I started actually like trying. Yeah. Um, and like all the information out there available to me, but I will say though, um, there's a lot of people that probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, <laughs> because I learned a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, like, Oh my God, I, there was this one guy, I don't remember his name, but he was like, Oh, you need to master it, uh, in a certain way where like he, he was basically telling people to bounce everything out to audio, like wave files. And then like so much hassle for no gain at all yeah. um when you could just like there's no reason to try to be a mixing engineer when you're not a mixing engineer yeah so like there was a bunch of tutorials that definitely set me back because i i took everyone's advice uh but didn't like have a quality filter on it yeah i just taught i, I thought everyone had like um yeah knew more about it than me and so who am i to to question it it's a really good point. Um, and I think that's like super invaluable now, just as it was then, like being very selective in the way that you filter advice. And there's no like one single answer I can give you for whether or not you should trust somebody, but just being very careful and not taking everything that everybody says, especially on like a Reddit or a YouTube comment section, 100% as true. Like I remember definitely when I was learning production, there were so many wasted hours and courses on things that I just, had no business learning, but I didn't really know. Somebody's like, oh, if you want to become a professional producer, you need to learn FM synthesis. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to take this FM8 course. And I'm like, this just isn't anything that I want for my own sound. Like I shouldn't really be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, I did that a lot too. Um, yeah. But, but especially with the mixing because sound design, you can always find um, a room for sound design techniques. Like I could definitely I, I don't regret putting hours into learning sound design. I never use because I have that in my toolkit now. Yeah. But learning like mixing is so important to not do wrong. 
Uh, yeah. Because you could really ruin your entire song. You could have dope sound design, but if you mix it wrong, you're you're fucked. Can I can I say fucked by the way? Is that cool? You're more than welcome to. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> um yeah, I think the biggest thing in my experience for anyone that's worried about that is just having somebody that is a mentor or just like an artist that you know you can trust to ask those questions to make sure that you're not just running in the wrong direction is huge because 30 seconds of their time could save you a month of going in the wrong direction. So just advice for anyone that's in that similar space where they don't know if they're going in the right direction, because that's something with like the artist that I mentor is the number one thing that I want to make sure that they're not feeling like they're just running in place or running in the wrong direction. Mm. Yeah, totally. So kind of going back to you developing your skills in the DAW, when did you first start thinking about launching the Hans project or was there any other artist projects that you kind of had before that? Um, so what I didn't say in the beginning is that the whole Hans project was it just started as a joke. Okay. Because uh, uh, I was sick from work and I had a colleague that was super into Atlanta's trap, like that old school trap music yeah yeah and um i told him like oh that's easy i can make those beats like i can pump out beats like that no worries uh but remember like i hadn't actually done any production just sequencing and and slicing a sample and so (laughs) i was way too confident um and so i started making trap beats just to piss this guy off uh (laughs) to show him that like i can do this it's so easy and it wasn't that easy and that kind of like made me want to try even harder. And so it kind of started as a joke. And I, I put like trap beats for sale on SoundCloud. And I actually sold a couple beats too, which is horrible because they sucked. <laughs> sucked so bad. Um, but yeah, so it started as a joke to me. So you said that it was one of your buddies that you were working with. Was this after you finished school? Kind of where were you at with work in school at that point? Yeah, this was after school. So this was in 2016. Um, so I'd been working there for, for a long time. And this guy was like my, my best friend at work. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So did you have any thoughts about going to like a conservatory or university for music? Was there any aspirations on that side? No, not really. Because at that time I didn't like, as I, like I started as a joke, I didn't take music seriously. And I knew that I wasn't good enough to, to be an artist at that uh, time. And I, I I didn't think that I ever would be good enough. Interesting. Why do you feel like that is? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a difficult question. Especially like looking at things now, they're obviously going pretty well for you in your career. Like kind of see if you can tap into that headspace that you had then. I mean, I, I, music is, is very delicate, you know, um, to me, actually releasing music and because it means a lot to me. My music, like, it means, it, it's basically, like, my, it's, 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 like I said, therapeutic for me. Like, I, it's yeah. my emotions. It's, it's my raw emotions. And so, I don't know. It's just, I've always been, I've always felt weird about releasing music commercially. Um, just because it means a lot to me. And, yeah. Um, so, back then, it was, like, it was purely for my own use, if you know what I mean. Like, I made music for me and no one else. And so I didn't think that I would ever be at a point where I actually wanted to release music commercially. So when you started releasing music, these kind of like trap beats with the Hans project, 
at what point did you start to become a bit more serious about what this brand was for you? So actually, that's that's a kind of cool story uh, because um, I was just scrolling through my feed on SoundCloud because this time I was getting a little bit like traction on my uh, account just because of the trap beats and I was selling them. Uh, so I would like check SoundCloud because it was fun. It was fun to see people interact with my music. Um, and then I was just checking my feed because there was always some good songs in the SoundCloud feed. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden there's like this artwork and a long title that, that I, I was just drawn towards it. And it was like, I failed my exams, came home to produce my feelings by laxity. And I was like, wow, what is this? And I clicked it. <laughs> And I was just blown away by that song. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I have to try to make something like this. Like, fuck the trap. I want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tried like to reconstruct the song and to, yeah. to make something like that. Cause that's always, I've always wanted to make that kind of music. So I just tried and failed a hundred times mm-hmm. until I finally had something that sounded similar. So I guess you could say like laxity definitely influenced me. Um, yeah. We were talking about him before this um, episode, especially given the whole like laxity beaver stuff, but kind of talk about in your opinion, what was it about his music that, I don't know, put production in a different framing for you? We were like, oh, this is something that I want to do and release. Uh, it's, it's, it has all to do with like the emotional part of it, like the melancholic yeah, and, and the beautiful chords. And I can just, I can tell right away, right away that this means a lot to him yeah, and that it comes from a, from a real place. Um, and that's like that. I've always been drawn towards music like that. So the music I listen to too, is it's almost all like tragic and sad music just because it's yeah. so real you know um and and that's kind of what i do too but i mean you can have happy music as well as long as it comes from something real i'm totally down um and so that's yeah that's that title as well it's super long um <laughs> and it's just like so accurate in what the music sounds like as well yeah it's just super bummed that he failed his exam like it's it's, it's great i love it and that's uh, that's what influenced me, inspired me. Yeah, I think that's like a super, I don't know, just valuable insight into finding a style that you really vibe with and you really enjoy producing. I had this conversation with, I believe Adam on our podcast, where he was talking about how he was making kind of like new disco when he started his project and it was going really well for him, but he just didn't enjoy making it, even though mm. he was getting some traction, got some really great remixes and original singles and. I always recommend to like newer and intermediate producers how important it is to just try different styles because you never really know what style people are going to respond to and what you actually enjoy making because those are two really important things. Like trap might be popular, future bass might be popular, whatever styles might be popular right now. It's important to just experiment to find something where you're like, hey, I really enjoy this because the way that I see it is the music is better at the end of that. Like you said, you can feel with that failed exam ZP from Lack City. He tells you what happened with the title of the EP, and you can also hear it in the music. You can hear the emotion. And I think it's super important, in my opinion, for those two ideas to line up. Oh, yeah. I agree 100%. So what were those first releases where you were starting to really connect with the music that you were releasing on this project? 
so the first releases were uh, very experimental. Um, yeah. They didn't sound like there were a, a lot of synths, kind of like future bassy in a lo-fi way, if that yeah. makes sense. Which like a lot of synths, but the mix was horrible, and so it sounded lo-fi as fuck. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded horrible. But I mean, I was on the right track. Um, I was making music that that sounded way different from what I've been doing before. Like it was trap, and then like before that, old school boom bap hip hop. And now I'm actually like trying to do sound design and super saws and all that. Um, so it was it was it was rough. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they 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 sounded horrible, <laughs> all of them. Uh, but that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, it's always good to have those learning experiences and even like the styles that you're doing before, I'm sure helped you with what your approach is. And even those styles that you were producing before helped you with your approach now for the style you're making. Yeah, definitely. So at what point did you start to think about this being more of a career for your project? Was there a specific release or just time in your life where you're like, hey, this is something that I want to have as my career. Because right now it seems like it's you're kind of in that space. So kind of talk on that. So I, I never thought about this as it, like, I never thought this would be a career for me. Yeah. Um, just because, like I said before, it was it's just so personal. And personal stuff like this usually like works better as a hobby, you know, uh, just because like I can't really pump out songs. Yeah. Uh, I need to be inspired. Um, and so SoundCloud was perfect for me because I actually had a following. All right. I still do. <laughs> but like, I actually have a following on SoundCloud. People are interacting with my music and, you know, they're, they like it. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rush to get that like love yeah. uh, on, on your music like that. I would check my notifications every day. And so, but when, when SoundCloud started to fall off a bit, and like I noticed that SoundCloud was kind of something was happening. I, I wasn't getting the streams that I used to. Uh, the notifications were like there were so many things that was happening to SoundCloud around like 2018. Um, and then I realized like wow, I might actually lose my whole my entire following if like something happens to SoundCloud right now. If I wanted this to be a career in the future, like I have to do something. And so that's when I, I realized like, okay, um, if I want this to be a career at some point, then I have to start pushing my music elsewhere and just make sure that I have like actual fans and not just followers on SoundCloud. Yeah. And uh, so that, that's probably like the defining moment um, when, when SoundCloud was starting to fall off a bit where yeah. I had to push it over to Spotify and, and socials. So I'm kind of, curious going back to something you said earlier that you're not somebody that can just pump out songs looking at your spotify that kind of begs to differ so like where do you feel like that is for you because you said you know music is a very personal thing you want to create music that makes you happy but you're still able to maintain this consistency with your releases where do you feel like that comes from i i honestly don't know because there there's some times where i make a, a song that i'm super happy with I have the thought like I'm never going to make music again. Just I'll never be able to find ways to get inspired again after this. Just because like I've I've used my my pool of creativity. Um, of course, it, it refills all the time, so I don't have to panic. But I, I get that feeling sometimes, and there are some times where I'm just 
completely empty for six months. That kind of yeah. happened in 2019. I kind of just like lost my juice for a, for a moment and I couldn't make music at all. When I tried, I just made super uninspired stuff. And for me, that's like, I should just not make music then. I, I should yeah. wait and, and go experience something else, like go and have a, like take a walk, uh, go experience something, fill up that, that creativity pool. So what did you do when that happened? You said it was like about six months or so in 2019. What did you do to kind of take a step back to refuel your kind of pool of creativity? Uh, just hang out with friends. Uh, go like, yeah, go into the, like, the mountains. In Norway, you have a lot of beautiful nature. Yeah. So I draw a lot of inspiration from nature. And so, yeah, just doing something that is not related to music at all. Just being out and about doing stuff, uh, not stressing out about like, Oh no, people are waiting for a release. And yeah, you can get caught up in that. And especially when you see like the numbers are fuck, like are, are falling down. You yeah. Can, like real time, see that you're actually losing, re uh, re like, um, when you lose relevancy as an artist, uh, it, it really like, it can, it can make you want to push music out that you don't necessarily feel. Yeah. When did you start feeling like when you were in that little rut where you weren't creating that you were ready to get back out there and start releasing music? Uh, well, I, like I like I, I did a lot of traveling in 2019. Like yeah. I went two times to the United States and then I did like some other uh, trips to, uh, to Europe. And that definitely like inspired me. And yeah. A lot of like personal stuff happened in my life too that I that I won't like touch on that mm -hmm. kind of yeah so, some stuff happened and definitely made it like hard for me to make music and yeah but also like later on inspired me to make music and so 2019 was kind of a weird year for me yeah and 20 like I've made already probably 60 songs this year <laughs> It's insane. Like it's just not nonstop. So it's it's very like on and off for me. Yeah, and it seems like it balances itself out in the end for you too. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Cool. So I think that about covers what we've got for your background. We can slide over into production. The first thing that I want to talk about, which is kind of in the same space as what we were talking about earlier, is how big collaboration is for you. I feel like. You know, you release a ton of music by yourself, but you're also featured on and collaborating with so many different artists. First off, why is collaboration so important and exciting for you? I love to to get to know new people, and especially people that are like minded. Yeah. Um, like my best friends now are all artists, or like almost all uh, of them are artists, just because like there's. Um, I have so much in common with, with people that make music. Yeah. Um, and so collaborations and especially with people that make the kind of vibe that I do, they all have like a story kind of similar to mine. And so we, um, yeah. So, and also like to develop my own sound, uh, you learn a lot from working with others. Um, yeah. So like early on, I, I would collaborate with as many people as I could not to get exposure, but to learn. Um, totally. And so that, yeah, that's super important when you're trying to like to make music or like when you're just getting into production, 
to work with as many people as you can. And like a by effect of that, like a side effect of working with people is also you, you, you create connections. Yeah. Later on, that's super important when you want to push music and uh, having those connections. And also you have their following too. Yeah. Um, to push your music. So like collaborations, it's just so powerful in so many ways. Absolutely. There's like so many benefits from a direct sense with the music and then an indirect sense with growth that you have to leverage that as much as you can. So given all the people that you collaborate with, um, everyone's workflow for collaboration is going to be different. I'm guessing the majority of them aren't in person, just given the fact that you're in Norway. Do you feel like there's a particular person that you collaborate really well with and kind of what is your workflow like with that person? And I'm asking this because I think there's a lot of people on this podcast or rather listening to this podcast that want to collaborate with people, but don't necessarily know how to do it in an effective way or they've tried and those collaborations have kind of failed. So talk about your best experiences with that. Um, so I have this, a very close friend of mine. Um, it was just like one of the guys from Nauda. I don't know if you've heard of them. No. It's a Norwegian duo. Okay. And so, but he lives, or he used to live pretty far away from, from Oslo. And so we would always sit on the internet, even though we're in the same country. Yeah. Um, and, and we always like, we had, we're like synced. We know like each other very well. And so whenever we start something, he starts with the drums and I do the chords and it always works. Like, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> we have a very good synergy. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I definitely love working with him, but the, I mean, there's a, there's a million people I love working with. So it's, it's yeah. so hard to, to pick one. Yeah. It definitely seems like with him, just finding somebody whose strengths kind of balance out your weaknesses and kind of knowing what your space is. Like, I definitely think, you know, if you're equally balanced, that's fine. And you just can kind of experiment, but just like knowing what you can do for that project, at least in my experiences has made the best um, collaborations for me, knowing I'm better at melodies, you're better at drums, you're better at mixing, I'm better at sound design, whatever that might be, finding that balance. Because that way, um, you're exercising yourself less, and you get to kind of get the best of what both of those producers bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. So on the like personal side of production, let's kind of talk about what your general workflow might look like. You're opening up the dog at a new project. What does that workflow look like when you're working on a original solo track? Um, so 99% of the time I start with chords just to set the tone right away. I like to yeah. know where my song is going. Um, so yeah, usually always start melodically, uh, with chords. And then from that, um, drums. So I like, I structure out this, like the verse or the drop first. Yeah. I do the chords, then I add the drums, sequence the drums. And then from there, it's just like free for all. Uh, I don't care. Like I, I can do the outro right after I have like a general outline of what I want the drop to be. I can yeah. hop over to the outro and then switch over to the intro, just back and forth. Uh, so I'm super messy. Like if you saw a picture of one of my projects, you would not believe that it's possible <laughs> to work with this because it's just automation and audio everywhere. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's complete. It's a complete mess. So given how you're really inspired by that kind of melancholic vibe when you're developing and writing chord progressions, do you kind of keep that in mind or do you just let the chord progression kind of take you where it wants? Yeah, I, I don't really think at all. I just let the, the chord progression do the, the talking. And yeah, if I, I, I don't like to think too much when I make music. I just want 
to do something and then when i when i have like an idea down then i can start like thinking about what i want the song to be but i usually just want to the, the like the initial idea i want it to just be a like a stream of consciousness and then take it from there so once you kind of take a step back from those ideas do you, do you ever get to a point where you have an idea and you're like hey this just isn't really a vibe that I want to continue on with. Maybe it's a different style or different mood than you're going for. Do you ever run into that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, that's, that's 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. As a graveyard. Like my my uh, FLP folder or like my project folder, it's probably like 100,000 FLPs in there. And yeah. 99% of them are just like one chord progression that <laughs> never led to anything or like one yeah. drum progression. I think that's why it's so invaluable just to be comfortable with throwing away ideas and getting through as much as you can, which is why I always emphasize the importance of like knowing your DAW, knowing all the key commands, just to get through those ideas as quickly as possible. Because I definitely feel that for myself where I will like want to try to write something more moody and melancholic. I always end up writing something that's like really jazzy and it's cool, but I'm like, this just isn't the vibe that I want for this song. But Sometimes just like getting that out for me is good. I can like put that in a different folder and then start something new. And then oftentimes I do get closer to what I actually want to say with that project. Yeah. And that happens to me all the time too. But like you have that jazzy chord progression for later. So yeah, it's not a waste of time either. You can, you totally. can like, you can use that later. Um, so I, I love to just have as many ideas as possible because you, you might have use for it later. Totally. And one thing that I always do and recommend is any idea that you create, even if you just spend an hour on it, export an MP3 of that and put that in the project file folder. Because one, you can always reference that easily. You don't have to worry about opening up the project and taking 30 seconds to a minute doing that. And two, sometimes just focusing on getting a quote unquote finished demo can push you to create more. It also makes you feel better. Like, hey, I got something to show. It's not going to be something that you're going to put on SoundCloud or Spotify, but Sometimes almost just like mentally having an MP3 that I can listen back on and be like, hey, this morning wasn't wasted. I got something. Not what I want, but I got something. Mm, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So you're really popular in all of the lo-fi hip hop playlists. You do extremely well on Spotify and YouTube when it comes to those spaces. One thing that I'm kind of curious to get your input on is the ability to kind of maintain creativity when you're producing lo-fi hip hop. You know, there's definitely a foundation to build off of in terms of the songwriting and the drums, but what are some of the things that you do when you're producing something in that style to kind of maintain more creativity and, I don't know, uniqueness and originality in that space? So I, I really like big, atmospheric, grand music. Um, yeah. And so I try to bring that into like the, the lo-fi scene. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like that's a unexplored um subgenre if you want to yeah. call it that totally um so like i don't want to do the like the beat thing i definitely do that too but i kind of like put it out on my dump account yeah um because like i do make beats too like i i love to make beats but uh for actual releases i try to yeah to make them sound a little bit special to make them sound like me uh yeah and just personally kind of from the outside, I definitely feel like that's attributed to the growth of your artist project. Like I was having this conversation with somebody where 
it's not, I'm not going to say easy, but it's not the most difficult thing to get a lot of streams when you're producing, let's just say straightforward lo-fi hip hop, but it's really difficult if there's not some type of sonic character or signature or brand to connect that back to your artist project and to turn those into followers that are connect, connect with your project and, you know, go to shows if you play them. So I think it's a really great insight onto that where you're producing something kind of in that space, but you're bringing something new outside inspirations that can still sit in there, but offer something more unique to a listener who is going to be listening to your song in one of those playlists. Like I know you're featured on the big Spotify lo-fi beats playlist, but then they're going to be like, Oh, this isn't not like all the other things. I'm going to go check out what this Hans guy is all about. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I hope people do that. Um, because you, you always, the, the risk you take when you, when you, tr when you're different in like a scene like this, uh, is that people might like not accept it. Uh, it's like too far away from what they like. Yeah. And then you might like not actually get the traction that you hope to get. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I, what I do, I just make music that I want to make. Like I, I don't, I know it's probably a bad idea like business wise, but I, I try to not think like business wise. I try to just make music that I love uh, to listen to myself. Yeah. And then hopefully that kind of like pushes it itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that I always encourage with newer producers because that's a win-win situation. Worst case scenario, you made music that you like. Yeah. Best case scenario, <laughs> exactly. people want to listen to it. And I would say for most people, that's, I don't know, that's a recommended path because people are going to be more likely to connect with something that's genuine with music. You're going to be more inspired to create. You know, I don't think that's blanket true. You can definitely fake something. One of my favorite albums of all time from MGMT was pretty much like a sellout album, which is an interesting idea in itself. But mm. for the most part, I think that's a better way to chase because it's a one-on-one situation as long as you're making music for yourself. Yeah, totally. So one thing that I want to ask you is you kind of talked about how once you started to get those plays, you started to really respond to them. Looking at your Spotify right now, your track Crossroads has 10 million plays. What is it like for you to have something that has reached that level with music? <laughs> it, it's my, my, okay. So my dad calls me every day, like <laughs> literally every day and tells me how proud he, he is. And it, like <laughs> yesterday, he yeah. was like, Thomas, it's at 10 million. Congratulations. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and it's like, that is so cool. But I'm so disconnected with like, because to me, I mean, I, I can see that it says 10 million, but it's so hard for me to actually grasp that it's actually 10 million streams yeah. on that song. It's, you, you kind of lose, I, I don't know, like it's, it doesn't really make sense to me that, that it's at 10 million. But it is. Uh, and so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of desensitized in a way just because uh, it's just so high that it like it doesn't really make sense to me. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, it, it's definitely a very humbling, um, especially when like the music is made and it's very like vulnerable. And especially that song, too, was like comes from like a, a, a like an event in my life. And yeah, so for that to have 10 million streams means a lot to me. And yeah. yeah, I think that's super cool. And I like get that. It's like tough to fathom. And it's also just like, 
you know, it's a cool number, but it's like a number and you're not necessarily talking to and connecting with the people that are actually streaming it. But at the end of the day, that's still an impressive and I'm sure two degrees satisfying thing to have. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, very gratifying. Yeah. So kind of moving back into production, are there any plugins or tools that are really important to your songwriting workflow? Sound design wise? Yeah. Or, uh, so yeah, um, I mostly use stock plugins. Okay. NFL. So Harmer uh, is, a, is a beast. I, I use Harmer for almost everything. And then of course, Lounge Lizard, which is a, oh, like yeah. a Rhodes plugin. It's the only thing on my stock template. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. it's so good. Um, and then like my piano, which is from Waves. I use that, like that's my go-to piano. Okay. Uh, but for sound design, definitely like Silenth and Harmer. Because uh, they they kind of sound similar. They're very warm synths. Yeah. Um, only drawback to uh, Harmer is that like Silenth definitely sounds brighter and sharper than Harmer does. Yeah. And so I sometimes I, I like I used to... I use only silent. Um, yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you really like to build out these more like atmospheric textures in your music. Do you have a general process or workflow for creating those? Yeah. Uh, you know what pole stretching is? No. So I don't, I don't really know what it is either. I just, okay. I just use it a lot. Um, so basically you just stretch a sample and it's like a, an effect called pole stretch. Full stretch. Uh, that stretches out the sample. I think it has something to do with reverb too. Like it adds some reverb and then stretches it and then reverbs it. I don't know, but it sounds amazing. And you can make amazing sounding atmospheric pads by just reverb tails. Um, so you just like you, you put reverb on a sound and then you record okay. the reverb tail and then you apply pulse stretch to that sample. And that will stretch out the sample and make this huge sounding pad. Um, so is that a stock plugin or a third-party plugin that you're using? So for that? I use Audacity. It's a free okay. software. So you have, they said like you have to actually download the software. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a pain, but it's, it's totally worth it. Um, but also reverb. I use a lot of reverb in creative ways yeah. to make atmospheric music. Um, and so definitely like just fuck around with reverb knobs, uh, it's it's a lot of fun and you can make a lot yeah. of cool sounds. Yeah, there's looking like I'm looking at uh, the Paul stretching right now and it seems like there's some great free resources for it as well. Oh yeah. So it's definitely a cool technique. It seems kind of not necessarily in the exact same space as granular synthesis, but the idea of like taking something and stretching it out further. And at least with that, it seems more through like warping and some post-processing. Mm. That's really cool though. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't get those artifacts that you get normally from just stretching a sample. Cause that yeah. sounds horrible, but this pole stretch kind of just stretches it without the artifacts. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's worth it. So a question that I want to ask kind of in this uh, songwriting space is I know a lot of producers can get, let's just say like a first verse and a chorus down, but they struggle to do anything new and inventive when it comes to kind of the second half of their track. It's definitely not a problem that I hear in your music. I feel like you always take the listener somewhere new when it comes to your second verse and second chorus, bridge, and all that good stuff. So do you have any advice for somebody that struggles with that to kind of develop new sections that continue on the idea of the track, but also take it further? Yeah. Um, so my approach to making music that has high replayability is to always switch stuff up 
So if you have an intro that's 16 bars and the intro is just the same loop over and over again, and then the verse hits and or yeah. the drop and nothing is progressively changing through the song, it's kind of just like you have 16 bars of a loop. That's not going to engage me in any way. I'm probably yeah. going to skip the song. And so I tried to think, what would I do if I was going through my my uh, Discover Weekly on Spotify? Um, would I skip the song, right? Yeah. Like, what could I do to not skip the song? Uh, and usually it's just like trying to change up every eight bars, like have something, introduce an element or have an arp or lead melody or just something to keep the listener engaged all the time. Of course, not overdo it because that could happen real quick and then people are going to skip it so it's a it's a balance a very like fine balance between overdoing it and having like the perfect amount of change-ups in a song totally and i think at least for my own writing i try to overdo it at first and then rein it back in because i was i would rather have more ideas to play with than have something that doesn't have enough and i'm kind of like my tank's empty for creating new ideas. And I think more often than not, when I hear kind of intermediate producers' music, there just isn't enough variety and changes to keep the listener interested. Because, you know, don't attribute that to people having a short attention span or not appreciating what there is in your music. Like you have to keep them engaged. That's the battle. And it seems like, you know, you've got a very specific idea for creating your music with the emotion and who you're creating it for, but you're still making those concerted efforts to make it digestible and palatable to a mainstream audience, which personally I think is a great approach because you kind of get the best of both worlds there. Yeah. And also what I, what I notice is that people pay a lot of, like they put a lot of work into the drop, uh, but they completely forget about like intro bridge outro. Uh, and you can lose me there too. Like if the drop is super tight, but the bridge is just not, you can tell like he spent like 20 minutes on the bridge and 10 hours on the drop. Yeah. It's just a huge gap there. You can tell like a lot of times with like intermediate or, or um, like producers that's just started, you can tell that, that, that like that happens a lot. Yeah. One thing that I always recommend to kind of people in that space is for most of them, they've studied a lot of drops, but they haven't studied a lot of verses. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can tell that they don't know how to introduce and develop ideas in a natural and effective way. Even if their drops are, let's just say, 95% of like what a professional would be doing, their verses are like 40 or 50. There's just like, you know, just like a snap coming in halfway through and then like a white noise <laughs> reverse. And it's like, cool, never thought about that before. And then like going back to the intro, it's like, a white noise downlifter, and then the chords come in 30 seconds later. I'm like, bro, I'm skipping this <laughs> 10 seconds in. Like you have to, like you have to think about those things. Like I was listening to a podcast with OK on the Willie Joy Back to Back podcast, and he was kind of okay. talking about that with his track Thief. Mm. And he was um he was like at Coachella or something, and he noticed that everyone in the crowd knew the big hits right when they started. Within like two seconds, they had that signature. And yeah. people don't think about that with intros. They hit, you know, the really great quality tracks have an intro that grabs you right away. It mm. isn't just like a reverse crash or a reverse vocal. Those can be a part of it, but understanding that like the second you hit play, you've got five to six seconds to keep them in. Yeah. So we've got a lot of newer producers listening to this podcast. I know we've touched on some advice for them throughout, but 
Anything else that you feel like you'd like to touch on to give newer producers the best chance of success moving forward? Yeah, totally. Um, so one of the, like, to, to me, like, um, knowing uh, where to look for, for good like, content to learn the right things or to, to like, to be specific uh, in what you want to learn. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would spend time trying to figure out what you want to create first. So instead of spending, you know, countless hours on learning how to mix as a mix and master engineer, yeah. Try to figure out how you can make the music that you want to make. Uh, for example, like if you want to make lo-fi, figure out how to to write interesting chords, not to to mix and master for like a like a professional level. Yeah. Because uh, I definitely did that very early and and adopted some techniques that I really didn't need at all for for what I wanted to make. And uh, that yeah, you don't get those hours back. And so trying to be efficient with what you learn, um, it's, it's, it's uh, important. Like, I, I feel it's very important for, for new producers. Cool. So to kind of wrap things up, I want to talk about what you got coming up. I know you just announced a um, collaborative EP that's going to be coming out of a couple live sessions that you did with Foreign Family Collective with a couple of really dope artists. Let's first talk about that. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a collaborative EP with Ford and Son, um, both very good friends of mine. So we, we went to Seattle uh, in December and spent like eight days working on an EP together. Yeah. Um, so like all the songs were created there together, uh, which is like the first time for me in real life, like actually producing yeah. a whole project with someone in the same room. So yeah, that was coming out the 28th of, um, of February. Awesome. It's, yeah. So what did you learn from those two producers being in the studio, whether it was techniques directly or just about what it's like to have like an in-person collaboration with artists like them? So I learned that working in real life and working over the internet is so different. Yeah. Um, it's so much better to actually have the person right there. And yeah. if you have an idea, you can just tell them like, hey, dude, how about we switch out the snare? Or <laughs> instead of like sending a message and it takes six hours for the guy to respond and by the time you've deleted the snare and he's mad because he wanted the <laughs> snare, you know, that that's a yeah. struggle. <laughs> and so in real life, that was amazing to, to have that like direct contact with the person you're making music with. And also like just vibing and playing chords together on the piano in the studio. It's just amazing. Totally. Just like having that immediate reaction from other people is incredibly beneficial, especially when it's easy to miss ideas that you've made that were cool or to second doubt your to second guess yourself or to doubt yourself. And it's nice to have somebody else to be like, no, like that is a cool idea. Run with that. I think you can be more effective in your writing. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So outside of that, what is going to be coming up for you in the next zero to six months? Um, it's, it's kind of difficult to, to predict that. Um, I'm working on a lot of music, so there's definitely going to be a lot of music coming out this year. But yeah, I mean, all of it is kind of like uncertain to a, to a certain point. Yeah, but there's a lot of music coming, so. Sweet. Awesome. Well, with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. You can find Hans's music in the description of this podcast, so go give it a listen as this episode is just about over. Thomas, it's been great chatting with you and I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me, dude. It was great to be here.